everything you need is found in Christ. And he uses that phrase in the first chapter of this little letter, 2 Peter. And he's talking about Christ as being central. He self-identifies as an apostle and servant of Jesus Christ. And he is startled and amazed that people who have heard the good news in Christ, which he personally is an eyewitness of his majesty, that they would turn away from this good news. It just is astonishing to the apostle that folks would abandon the way of Christ for some other way. And so he is unleashing his fury on these false teachers who are not apostles and are not eyewitnesses of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ who did not see him transfigured on the mount, who did not hear him teaching. Peter has a special place in the church of Jesus Christ and he is asserting his authority as one of the chosen twelve and saying we cannot turn back from what God has given us in Christ. So we are standing on the shoulders of the Apostle Peter this morning, hearing the eyewitness testimony of this man whose life was transformed by Jesus Christ. As he addresses these false teachers, he uses language that is really unprecedented in the New Testament. And I'm going to read part of it, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter. And he's speaking about these false teachers who, who draw people away from the center, which is Jesus, who draw them away from Jesus himself to other ancillary, secondary concerns that become primary. Verse 17. Have you lost me? Is anybody injured? All right. I guess I'm touching this. I'm going to turn it upside down. Will that work? No, I'm going to turn to put it right here. Okay. If that falls off, nobody will be hurt. <laughs> Verse 17 says, These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Well, those are... Scary proverbs, aren't they? <laughs> Vivid language. We had a hog when I was a boy named Bacon. I remember riding the hog, but I do not remember washing it. In fact, I'm trying to think if I ever saw anybody wash a hog. The sow that was washed returns to the mud. But I can testify of this. 
I went into a farrowing barn once, okay? One of the most fascinating tours I ever made was of a pig farm in Illinois where they produced 120,000 pigs a year. And they had a farrowing barn. And before they would let me into the farrowing barn, they made me put plastic bags on my feet so I would not corrupt the purity of that farrowing barn where all the sows, and these sows are 600 pounds. But that place was pristine. I'm telling you, it's the cleanest place I ever visited uh, that was an agricultural endeavor. So, I guess they do wash hogs and sows. And the proverb is true. What he is saying is, sometimes people return back to what they knew was an empty life. But because they've been disappointed somehow in themselves or they tried to live the Christian life and feel like they failed and maybe they're saying to themselves, this, I'm just not cut out for this, you know? And they have no real choices about what they're going to do because all they remember is that previous life they had before they knew Jesus, so they go back there. They just go back to what they knew before because it's all they have in their memory tapes. And Peter says here, it would have been better for them never to have known than to have known and then desert the Christ who loved them. And he says of these teachers, they are springs without water. That means a lot to me. I grew up in arid country. Part of it was in El Paso, and we used to hike in the Franklin Mountains, and we'd head up those mountains that were very rugged, and the peaks were over 6,000 feet, and we'd get to a place called Cottonwood Springs. And I'm sure not all travelers did this, but you could see the little green dot in the crevice in the mountain, and when we got there, we all got a drink from the spring. And it was very special. It was a great place to be. That country that Peter grew up in was also arid country. Rains about 25 inches a year in Israel and much less as you go south into the desert. And for centuries, caravans have gotten out their maps and they have mapped their journey based on the oases, the springs that were laid out across the desert by those who had gone before them. And they would plot their course so that they would reach the water hole before they ran out of water. It was very important that they traveled from spring to spring. So when he says springs without water, he's saying two things. First of all, it looks like an oasis. It's still green. And that greenery is a promise that there's water here. There's refreshment here. There's life here. The second thing is when they got there, with the promise of the greenery, there was no water. These are springs without water, these false teachers. They promise you something they cannot deliver. They have no healing, refreshing, restoring power. As I thought about what the water is, my mind went back to that series from the woman at the well where Jesus said, ask of me and I will give you living water. Jesus himself is the water of life. He invited people to come and drink of that water and he said, you'll never thirst again. 
and essential to that water is the love of God made known in Christ. So we have before said that the love of God is the center of the good news, that it's good news because God is good and God loves us. And these false teachers have departed from the way of love. They've become selfish and greedy. They've started seducing people and taking advantage of them and manipulating them. They really don't care about the flock. All they want is the fleece. So they've left the way of love. They've abandoned that path for some other way. And we have said often that the defining nature of love is found in Christ and his sacrifice for us. He laid down his life for us. This is love. It was my joy yesterday, yesterday evening, to stand on this platform and recite the vows for Catherine and Aaron, who sat across the aisle from one another right here from 2011 till 2015 and never were introduced, all right? And he went and got his MBA. He wanted to meet her, and finally he says to Sandy Danton over here, who does their hair, could you introduce me to Catherine and Sandy? Let's Kelly know. Kelly's somewhere, I suppose, in the room. And so Kelly tells him, and Friday was a year ago that Aaron and, and uh, Catherine met. And I stood up here to recite the vows to them and I tell you it's a wonderful thing you know to hear those promises made and they are made in the context of a love that is powerful enough to guarantee the faithfulness until death do us part it's not in us to do this it's in the love of God to do this and so we make this promise not without some nervousness all right and the groom wet, swiped his hands a little bit because he was, he was getting sweaty. I mean, it's, it's a heavy moment, you see, when you make that vow, but you do so because of the powerful love of God. And it is not this love that is kind of a sappy kind of emotional feeling, all right? You need to be crazy about the one you say I do to, all right? That's very important. But the love that seals the covenant and makes the marriage last for a lifetime is the love that lays down its life, okay? And there's nothing really sappy about it. It's not even really an emotional response. It's a decision. It's volition. It's a choice to say, I'm going to love you with the sacrifice of my life. And some people say, that kind of love is too tough. That kind of love is too hard. That kind of love that denies itself and takes up the cross, that's a difficult way to live. It's a restrictive way to live. And so the false teachers came into the church saying, what, that's not required of you. You don't have to lay down your life like that. No, I'm here to liberate you. And so they make the promise. And the promise is this. Look, leave behind those restrictions of faith in Christ that you think are essential to faith in Christ. Leave that stuff behind. You don't have to obey the law. Forget about the Ten Commandments. Forget about them. We're going to set you free. They make the promise. 
of liberation. And it's an old promise. And it's been promised in so many different ways by so many different people. Look, if, if you'll just satisfy that desire inside of you, that's what freedom's all about. The denying of that desire inside of you, that's slavery. And it's unnecessary. You don't have to say no to those impulses inside of you. You can say yes to them. I'm here to liberate you. That's what the teachers were saying. And it's the promise that never delivers. In fact, Peter says, these false teachers that are promising you, if you'll just experience the stuff they've been doing and you'll let the restraints go, these false teachers, they are slaves themselves. Hey, they don't tell you that. That's not in the marquee. They mouth empty, boastful words. They are a mist driven by the wind. That mist comes up in the swampy area down here in the bayou, and you know it's just water in the air, nothing really to it. And if the thunderstorm comes along and those fierce passions come in, just drives that mist away. They are driven by the desires that they have, these evil impulses inside of them. And everybody knows what I'm talking about because we're all sinners. Everybody in the room. I startled the children during vacation Bible school. I told them that Miss Faye was a sinner and she was in the room. What? Yeah. And Brother Bob. Oh, no. Yes, the scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when I talk to you about evil impulses, I really don't have to get more specific than that. You already know what tempts you. You've got a besetting sin that chases you, and I already know that about you because you're broken. Everybody is. We're all morally broken. So when we talk about sin, everybody knows what we're talking about. The mental images, the thoughts, the things that you are drawn to that you know are self-destructive. The stuff you want to do, to do that your faith in Christ says no. And then somebody comes along and says, oh no, no. Just let go of that. Let me liberate you, sister. Let me set you free, brother. You don't have to follow that. That is too restrictive. That's not part of following Jesus. And so you meet people who are, they're abandoning the lifestyle of the believer. Even though they say, oh, no, we, we still believe in Jesus. We got Jesus over here. We're not, we're not leaving Jesus. We're not going to follow the lifestyle anymore. You know what that is? That's dishonest. You know what else that is? That's not true. You don't get two doses of Jesus. That's not, that's not what salvation and following Jesus is about. You don't get to pick and choose. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's, that's how you do it. You sell everything you've got for this treasure in the field. You lay it all down. He laid down his life for you. You lay your down, life down for him. 
Following Jesus is the radical surrender of my life to who he is. See, and the lie comes and says, oh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to let Jesus be Lord of every part of you. You can follow those impulses and desires. And let me tell you, it'll set you free. You'll have freedom then. You mean you're not free to do this stuff? Some of you came out of the world and you came to follow Christ as believers. And you had followed in this destructive path and you knew it was destructive to you and maybe to others. And you were living that life out and then you heard the good news of Jesus Christ and you responded. You said, yes, I want that in my life. And ever since you said yes to the call of the gospel, the world's been inviting you back. Hey, come on back. We want you back here. The friends that you used to do stuff with that you knew was ungodly and hurting you and your family, those friends, they want you back. They want you back in their life. They want you back in their lifestyle because every day that you live under the lordship of Jesus Christ and you practice the Christian life, you practice loyalty and faithfulness to your vows and honesty. You practice life, a life of laying down love. It's a judgment on them because they're just living for themselves. They're taking care of number one. They've left the path of love, of self-sacrificing love to live out a life of greed and lust centered in themselves and they think they're free. And there's no master more cruel than the master of sin. See, sin will take a mud hole and decorate it as if it were an amazing place. Put all these fancy things, and that's what the false teachers did. Oh, man, look at this. This is going to be wonderful. And they paint such a picture for you. And when you finally dive in, you discover it's just a mud hole. That's all it is. Their words were empty and boastful, and they had no substance. Don't give in to the lie that sin will set you free. It is a cruel master. We can go to the prison and ask those folks in jail, did your sin set you free? And of course, most of them will say no. You can go to the halfway house and say, hey, did your sin set you free? I'll bet when they sold you that stuff, they told you it was going to do amazing things. It was going to set your mind free. It's going to be so great for you. I'm afraid there's some of us who got the idea of freedom from pain. We're going to set you free with this little pill. And it was a legitimate need when you started to take it. Because you were hurting. And the doctor gave you that pill. And you took it and it gave you freedom from pain. And you were grateful. And then pretty soon you found out that you were taking that pill when you didn't really need it anymore, weren't you? Yeah, you were popping that pill when you really weren't hurting. And maybe you went back to the doctor and you got the prescription again, not because you were hurting, but because you need that pill. Do you know how ramped up addiction to prescription medicine is in this culture? 
You know how dangerous it is to you? See, something that you start out with even in need and as an, a legitimate application can become a source of slavery. God made everything good, but the word iniquity is human beings and how they take what is good and twist it into something that is evil. It's the promise that never delivers. Sin is the master that intends to bring you down. He intends to kill your relationships. He intends to kill love and joy and peace in your life. And he intends to make you an addict to the thing that he's delivered that he said will set you free. Wise up. Wise up. The law of God was given because people need it. It is honesty that sets you free. Integrity. Courage. These virtues that God gives us, the kindness and gentleness and love for one another, this mutual affection, the self-discipline, these are the things that maximize your life. And the attack on those things comes straight out of hell where the enemy intends to drag you. And you can be a very smart person and still end up telling yourself a lie that the thing that has enslaved you and is now in the process of destroying you is really your freedom. I had a college professor who came to trust Christ as Savior, and when he gave me his testimony, he said, I was so addicted to so many different things that were tearing me apart. I felt like an animal in a cage living in my own filth. That's how he described it, his words. And he said, I heard the gospel, and I leaned against the door, and I found that it was open. And Jesus is the liberator. The scripture says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, these things are mutually exclusive, all right? There is a way that leads to life. And there is a way that leads to the death of your integrity and your conscience and your marriage and the good things that God wants to produce in you and the good things you used to have. There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. And Peter says, this way that these false teachers are selling you with their lies, that leads to death. And young people, I want you to know it. You will save yourself a lot of pain if you will just submit to the Lordship of Christ in your life and follow prompting of the Spirit. It has been only this week I learned about someone who just said, you know, I just want to be free of my marriage vows. I just want to be free. I'm tired of the restraints of those vows. Look, God gave you the capacity for love, loyalty, and faithfulness. 
And it is worked out in the bond of marriage in a beautiful way. And our fidelity to those vows strengthens our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors and friends, and everybody around us. And we know when we were unfaithful to those vows how destructive that is not only to our own heart and self-image and understanding of who we are, but so destructive to everything that's vitally important to us. It's important to hear Peter saying, they are springs without water. They are misdriven by the storm. They promise you something that will not deliver in the end. They say it's going to set you free, but you end up in chains. And he was amazed that people would turn their backs on the Lord Jesus who was in Peter's mind and experience the Savior of mankind. He was astonished that they would turn their backs on him. He says, it would have been better for you never to have known this stuff than having known it to now turn your back and go another way. And when you get disappointed and you feel like you're not able to live the Christian life, what do you do? What do you do when you feel like you've fallen flat maybe again and again? Do you just give up? The scripture says, no, you don't give up. Last night at the wedding ceremony, I said to this couple, you've chosen a scripture that has forgiveness in it. And you're going to need to forgive each other. Not just for little things, but for fundamental flaws in your character that God is working on now, but they're still there. And every human being in an intimate relationship in covenant with another person must continually learn how to forgive. And you say, well, why would we do that? Because God loves to forgive, and he forgives us not just the minor things. He forgives us the great, terrible things, the awful disasters that we brought upon ourselves, the worst choices that we ever made, the worst pain we ever inflicted on anybody we should have loved. The Father in heaven loves to forgive us of those things. It's his joy, it's his mercy to say to sinners like us, I forgive you. And you're laying there flat on your face in the mud and you say, who am I anyway? That's when you need to remember, I'm a child of God and I don't belong here. I'm a child of God and I don't belong here. I'm going to get up again, receive the Father's forgiveness and go back to the Father's arms. I'm going to live this life he called me to live. I'm going to honor the Christ who died for me on the cross. I'm going to receive his forgiveness and extend it to others. I'm going to do this thing that God has called me to do and equipped me to do. I'm going to follow him. It's a wonder, you know, that we take the tumbles and the scripture says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Are you in a free fall? Somebody in the room in a free fall? I got a picture of a net I want you to see. This net is 100 by 100. 
And it's anchored in Southern California in the desert. And it caught a man yesterday. His name is Luke Aiken. And you didn't know it, but he was one of the stuntmen in Iron Man 3. And yesterday, Luke Aiken looked out of the door of an airplane at 25,000 feet and pitched himself out without a parachute. He fell 25,000 feet through the air. Going this way and that, skydiving, he said. The currents of the wind carry you this way and that. And he hit the bullseye of this net and survived the greatest fall any human being that we know of has ever survived. Just like you, child of God, you're a survivor too. You think it's all over and done and that your error has brought you to the end of the way and you cannot recover. And the truth is there are no dead ends in grace because the net of the Father's arms is underneath you. And if you will trust him in this moment when you feel like you're in a moral free fall, when you feel like you've never been so distant, never fallen so hard, if you will trust him in this time, he will rescue you. You are not beyond his love and care. You are not outside of his grace and mercy. You can do this thing he's called you to do. He lives inside of you. You can live this life. You can have this peace and joy. You can match belief in Jesus with a walk that is true. You can do it. But you must trust in the Father who spreads his net under you. To catch you in his grace and mercy and rise up from the ashes of whatever has burned to say, I will trust you again. Bow with me, please. I just wonder who it is. Who it is in this room. And the Father's saying to you, I've got this. You're so afraid, you're so desperate, you feel like you've lost. And the Father's saying, I've got this, daughter. I've got this, son. I know who you are and where you are. And I will take care of you. I challenge you to trust him. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, I present my life to you with all of its possibilities and disasters. Again, I come to you to say I am yours. I believe you love me. You sent Jesus to die for me. I know he is my Savior, and I'm trusting you in this moment in my life that you have the net under me. Maybe for the first time in your life, you need to commit yourself to Jesus Christ, who is the fundamental truth of this universe. Would you just pray, Lord, here I am, ready to surrender my life unto you. 
God, I pray today by your Holy Spirit, rescue us in your mercy once again.